It's right here, guys. It's Chris Rabel. This is him. This is as, as good as it gets. As good as it gets. Right here. Pandemic. Chris Rabel. Um, it is episode 31 of Pooch and Rabel. Um, we uh, kind of took a little bye week there um, just because life got busy. That's what happens. Uh, so, uh, But we're back and we're doing it and we're happy to be here. Here we are. Here we are. Um, so, uh, we were looking at kind of topics and looking over your guys' comments. And, um, one of the things that kind of keeps coming up is how we use virtual playback as a tool. Um, and you know, from my perspective, I don't just record inputs and like, that's it. Um, I also make some stems uh, for recording purposes and, and we can get into that. Um, but I don't know, start us off, Chris, like what, how do you, how does virtual playback play into your, your, you know, into your role as a front of house guy? For me, it's, it's invaluable. I can't, I can't work without it. Sure. And I think what you just said was something about, you know, we're going to talk about virtual playback as a tool. And yeah. I immediately started thinking that for you and I, we've both been, been very vocal that if anything, virtual playback might be the tool at this point in time in our careers, you know, and it has been for a while, right. And it has been for quite a while. And the advent of virtual playback was, man, if there's anything that's like, you know, turning point for me, it, it would have been when it came into, because there was a long period of time where, where, where we could track, but not everybody was, you know, we're using whatever you're using a long time ago for myself. When I got into it, it was like DA 88s or whatever right. people eight yeah, apps, whatever they were, but not a lot of people were bringing that back in into the desk. Some people were for sure. But anyway, for what we're talking about though, man, it's make or break. It's mission critical. Um, at the very, 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 very least, even if it's a one-off, uh, or if it's a, maybe not like a throw and go one-off, but if it's like, there's a day of prep or there's a day of this or that, I'm going to track everything, you know? I'm going to at least, at the very least, I like to use Pro Tools when I can, but at the, um, at the very least, we're going to use, you know, Reaper. I know you're a big, excuse me, a big proponent of Reaper or Tracks Live, which I guess is no longer a thing, um, <laughs> right? Well, yeah. Is it dead or something? It is. Uh, so basically Waves uh, decided to opt with uh, suggesting Reaper as their main yeah. um, go-to. Um, which I makes think they sense. Just, they didn't want to fully uh, support um, a DAW anymore when there's other great ones out there like Reaper, which makes, which makes total sense. But I, and you know, and the point of all of this is, is just like, I just, I need to get something on tape. I need to get something down so that if I literally, if it's a throw, if it is a kind of throw and go ish one off, but if I have the ability guys, if I have five minutes to play it back, literally five minutes. I will get so much out of that five minutes. And a lot of times for me, all I'm looking to get, if it's, if it's a, Hey, let's just get, get what we can play back, see what we can is oftentimes not creative stuff that will for sure come into play in instances where I have time to play the whole thing for longer periods of time, but it's just for like cleanup stuff. You know what I mean? That's just right. for like, my mind immediately goes to like, where's, where does that, where's that rumble coming from? What gate is opening all the time? Oh, it's the second Tom. That's what, the, where is that? Psst. 
coming from? What vocal? Oh, it's the keyboard vocal is catching that right. You know, it's just for like cleanup shit, totally. you know? Um, so at its very basics, very basis, it's, it's just something I can get down so I can go back and look and see where it really gets gnarly and clean that stuff up. Does that make you sense? Know, oh, absolutely. And you bring up a really, really great idea. Like I carry virtual playback for one-offs on any sort of gig. So like if I'm being called to go, um, you know, like go do a, a club or a house of blues or whatever, I bring my recording rig, I bring an MGB mm -hmm. and I bring my laptop because that period between finishing a sound check and them opening doors, even if it's mm -hmm. only 45 minutes, I utilize oh. that time to do exactly what you're talking about. It's an invaluable tool, man. Um, 45 minutes could be like the difference between game changer. good enough and holy shit, that was great. Game changer. Uh, and, and I use it exactly like how you describe. I love what you said. Um, it's, in that instance, for example, where I only have 45 minutes, I just record, I dialed a bunch of stuff up, you know, um, right. and it, it's funny. Do you do, you know, nowadays, if I'm in that situation, um, uh -huh. I am like super careful about dialing mic pre's in super fast in the beginning because I don't want to touch them to scrape right. gains for the virtual playback. Right. Yes. Yes. So, real, real quick on what the Raybol just did a gig thing. I hated yep. it because I'd yep. get to the end of these performances and I know I'd only have like three minutes of usable playback. Exactly. Cause what, exactly. what Pooch is saying guys is there's no point in going back and remix and mixing something where the gain is changing. Cause you're, that has nothing to do with where you ended up. So it's wherever you've established stable gain yes. is where you need to start working from. And it's kind of a different thought process. It's something to bring up. You know, we're kind of going down a rabbit hole, but the thought process of a quick throw and go gig for me changes a little bit in that um, I'll go after gains super quick, get them to be where they look like they're recordable levels. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not clipping anything, but they're, you know, there. And then I'll leave them. And then anything that I need to do as I'm working during them playing is trim. Yep. not the recorded level, right? Yes. So then I can end up with it. Always the recorded level is going to be the same throughout that recording. So I could go to any part of that recording and throw and go it in that 45 minutes um, mm -hmm. uh, to figure it out. So um, mm -hmm. that, uh, it's a little kind of a tip for you guys out there, you know, focus. Like I don't even in the beginning of a sound check, if it's a one-off in the beginning of a sound check, I'm dialing a, a console up from scratch. Like mm -hmm. I don't even worry about anything but gains at first. Mm -hmm. boom, 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 boom. Gains across the console, get it all going, then throw some faders into it. And oh, okay, well, that one's a little bit wanky. I'm gonna pull that down. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but it's super quick, like within the first two songs that they're playing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um and yeah. I, you know what this is important. Let's um and let's let's I think most folks know, but if not, the difference between like what exactly are we saying between Mike Gain and trim. Okay. You cool. Start? Yeah, absolutely. I, we can totally okay. go. <laughs> we can totally go Let's down do that rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, Mike Pre is <laughs> center. 
Because <laughs> yeah. this is um, super important, guys. No, it is. Yeah. It is. You know, so a mic pre is the interaction, the actual converter in, in this day and age when we're talking about digital consoles. It's the conversion that happens, the analog to digital conversion and the reaction that it has with an acoustic to electric transducer microphone. Uh, or DI box, whatever, that is, there's an interaction that happens between a mic pre and an acoustic to electric transducer like a microphone that, um, you know, does all kinds of things, all right? There's, there's um, we can get into a little bit later about overgain and undergaining, but there is a reaction that happens with that particular, um, you know, piece of, of gear uh, mic pre versus the the actual microphone, the transducer. Past that is trim, and digital trim. Like this wasn't something that existed for analog, you know, consoles back in the day. All we had was gain, and there was you know that was it, and we we could mm -hmm. um, decide what gain to do. But past that point, you can't trim up or down. Um, but nowadays on digital consoles, you have trim which really doesn't have an effect upon that interaction between transducer. Um, so there is a difference. Like we get this question all the time, like what is the difference between a mic pre and a trim? Um, and why wouldn't I just turn a mic pre up one click so that it's barely showing on the meter and use trim to gain it all the way up? Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know, speak to that a little bit. I can speak some more about it, but it yeah. is, it truly is, um, it's, it's the hardest thing for, one of the hardest things for me to teach because there is a felt interaction that happens between a microphone preamp and a transducer. And those, you have to learn what to, not to overgain and undergain, not even talking about gaining something to zero or looking at a meter. It's a felt and heard interaction that can only be really experimented with by you spending a bunch of time like doing ear training. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, I'll shut up. You talk about Mike Pries and Trim. No, it's perfect. And, and just continuing further with that, the important thing to remember specifically as it relates to what we're talking about with playback is that what is committed to tape what, what makes it on that hard drive and is the truth and is not going to change is your preamp gain. That's, right. That's what's written. Fortunately, like Pooch said, and you worded it perfectly, what happens after that is the trim. So if you set, if you've got bass guitar doing this via the mic preamp, that's what's making it to tape. <clears throat> um, when you play it back and then you realize either, hey, I nailed it, or one of two things, you know what, I could use a little more level, you can then non-destructively is the way I should yes. say it. You can go, you can take that digital trim, which is just literally adding or subtracting more level uh, from what is written. And that's where you can fine tune it if you want. And, and I think of it this way, like, let's say it's not even, let's, let's go further than throw go. Like I'm, I've established my gain structure. We're a year into tour. What I do is, could, well, let me back up real quick. One place where you can screw yourself is if you've written, you just, you just tracked and then you go into playback and you go, Hey, I need to adjust this gain. 
you go and you grab that mic pre and you gank it up 4 db <laughs> and yes. nothing's going to happen guys guess no. when it is going to happen when you come out of playback and they yeah. walk on stage and you turn that mic on and the whole thing goes Boop, because it's 4 <laughs> db louder yeah. so that's where you'll yeah. fuck yourself so what i do is uh and like i have my gain established gain is gain is gain it's where we are it's written to tape and it's what comes back and i know too for example you know you and i both work on digicos almost exclusively or all but exclusively maybe exclusively and i know that the blue that on the digico which is the line trim i know that is hey that's where we're hanging out now like i'm gonna have all these established gains but then the whatever the guitar the stage right guitar might be back negative four and that's where i've pulled it back and i will if i see it stay at negative four for a number of days then i will return it to zero make the change on the pre right you know the drill yep right so anyway i think the important thing to hammer home here is that your gain from the preamp from the mic pre is what's making it to playback so that's what pooch is saying like if you can get that in there quick then go back and make your changes if you need them on the line trim because that's not destructive as it pertains to uh, playback, right? Totally right. So the the only thing that I think that we should go down a little bit deeper into this rabbit hole is the mm -hmm. difference in sound tonality that yep. gain yes. changes cool. versus mm -hmm. tonality in the trim, which there isn't on. To me, a digital trim is transparent and it's it's just gain. It's yes. not timbre change whereas mm -hmm. a mic pre has timbre changes even digital mic pre's are designed to when you gain to a certain level they're they're designed to emulate analog mic pre's which analog mic pre's have thing called biasing uh it's a type of compression when you hit it at a certain level um the the timbre of the instrument and the interaction with that particular electrical to you know acoustic to electrical transduction mm -hmm. interacts with each other and there's a timbre change so i think it's important mm -hmm. that we bring that up as well is that um learning how to properly gain is not just about gaining it up and looking at the level on a meter or on a record that's right. not it like when we when we talk about properly gaining something it we are taking into account of timbre change in mm -hmm. gain but also remembering that overgain and undergain are are not good things either right mm -hmm. so for example overgain you guys can experiment with this simply by uh, getting a speaker and a microphone and turning the volume so the fader part of this turn it way down like almost to the bottom where it's just barely cracked and take your gain and keep turning it up until your speaker starts to feed back and what you'll notice is there's a point where that microphone the acoustic to electric transducer is completely uncontrollable doesn't matter how loud the speaker is. Like you could turn the speaker almost all the way off where it's barely on. You're barely hearing it feedback. And that microphone is completely out of control. You could move that microphone all the way to the other side of the room and it would mm -hmm. still be feeding back. And that is called overgain. Like, you know, monitor guys um, that used to mix, you know, loud wedges 
um, used to worry about you know overgain quite a bit, and so they they were masters at finding where that right feel of that um, that gain is. So when I was talking about earlier, it's the hardest thing in the world for me to teach someone about proper gaining. It's because it's not about looking at the meter. It's about listening and finding that sweet spot where the over-biasing of that mic pre, the emulation now in, in digital land, is mm-hmm. there's this, you know, I mean, you know it, right? There's this sweet spot where it has totally. the right amount of compression and the right amount of grit and the right amount of of all that stuff. Um, and that is, that's a hard thing to teach. Um, do you have any examples that maybe can help them to understand what that is? I, I certainly do, you know, and again, it was different not to put on my old man spectacles, my little cane, but it was different. Totally. It was different with analog consoles because there was simply much, 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 much more circuitry involved. There's transformers everywhere. There was literally more cabling. There was more iron. There was just more stuff. And you would hit those saturation points quicker, you know? And for instance, let's think about like a Midas, right? You know, everyone would either say they loved or would kind of start to dig a Midas, right? When it would get into that like yellow, you know? And that was, here's something interesting. And I'm such a dork. I think about this all the time. That was per the meter at about plus nine. Now that's plus nine out of an available plus 24. Right. That's, that's what that desk could do. It plus 24 is game over. That's not cool distortion. That's like you, you're bad. You <laughs> yes. Right. Not so good. if yeah. not good. Now, if you do, and the reason that was cool is it had a sound. It just yep. it did a thing. It had a sound. And like you mentioned, more, most importantly, what it did is the harmonic distortion started to build in a very pleasant way. And it, here's, Chris Rabel, like, please shut up, stop talking about it. But it rounded off the transients in a certain oh, way. I, just, I can't, it's, 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 it's so important. So it like kind of squashed it, kind of made it come to life. And it was just a really magical sound. And everybody really loved that. Um, now, the thing is, when you run everything hot like that, because it is in the end a matter of summation in mathematics, you do have to watch wh- what you do because before you know it, that all adds up and you're out of headroom in your I'll downstream book. Uh, right on the downstream buses. So, but let's just think on the input. So that was a very special place in analog world. Midas is just an example, but that speaks for almost all uh, consoles in general, or especially the ones that had color, i.e. the Midas. So now we're in digital world and like, and I'm often, you know, referenced as saying, well, I like Digico because it doesn't sound like anything and you can make it sound like something. I, I stand by that comment, but it does have a little space that I like to take it to. And I've tried a million times to disprove myself in that it does have a sound and I'm never happy until I go there. Yeah. So it's ironic if you, if you take that math, remember on Midas, if you could go to plus 24 and that's clipping bad game over, you suck. <clears throat> and we all kind of liked it at around this plus nine was sort of universally observed to have a certain thing. 24, the difference between 24 to nine is about 15. Yeah. I will say that on a lot of digital desks, including the Digico for me, which happens to turn yellow at that point, somewhere in there is some sort of sweet spot where something happens, at least to my ear. Others will say, no, it doesn't. <clears throat> Others will tell you to run it hotter. Some will say it's digital, run it cooler. To me, 
I keep trying to change it because I want more headroom and I want to run it cooler. There's something that happens around there. And you'll notice that you can aim for it and get it or, you know, going back to our, hey, if I'm in a hurry thing, a lot of times if you're just spinning, if you go, when you go back and look, you're like, oh, he ended up kind of happy when it was all in there. So I'm not telling anybody necessarily where to go, but it's funny how often we'll end up in that spot. And that is, you know, like you're saying, there's just, there's a sound there. There's something that happens there. It's just a positive, and it's a sonic thing, you know, it's like, totally. and I go there I, and I'll, I'll shut up, but I'll go there on purpose. But the times that I try not to go there, the side of me, that's just the, 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 the mixer already dude in me is like more, more, more. And the point that I'm happy is where I end up there. You know, well, there's a, such a thing, just like what we just talked about with overgain. There's just such a thing as undergain as well. When you use your mic, you don't usually utilize your mic pre to its fullest potential, especially mm -hmm. in digital land, right? Because especially. you are not, you're not using all the numbers, right? Your, your mm -hmm. resolution of that mic pre is now not being utilized to its best interest, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, you said a bunch of things there that I totally identify with. Um, you know, nowadays, um, it, it depends on what console and what input cards and stuff that you have too. Like for instance, the blue 32 bit cards are designed to have an emulation that when you get, you know, to a certain game thing, they have a tone to them. Whereas the older cards were kind of way more transparent and didn't do that as much. And I think that a lot of other console manufacturers have subscribed to the, when you gain it to a certain point, it has an emulation of a little bit of mm -hmm. compression and a little bit of harmonic distortion. Um, you know, I don't mm -hmm. know that I'm not a tech dude, but it's something that I know that when I get on all kinds of different consoles and if I get the gain part right, uh, then, you know, it just comes alive. And, and I also notice what it is and it's, it's a harmonic distortion and a little bit of compression. Um, mm -hmm. and so, you know, um, I, I think, uh, utilizing that to, for your tools is the, is the best case scenario. So, um, I tend to, um, gain, uh, things for the best sounding of the, the, uh, the way that the, the mic pre sounds, right? The best mm -hmm. way that the mic pre is interacting with that particular microphone. And then I adjust trim to make the fader resolution be right. So putting the fader resolution at zero, Mm -hmm. And we can talk about that for a minute. You know, the reason that that's important is because, you know, faders are logarithmic, right? So mm. um, a fader that is not near zero towards the bottom, a small change is a huge volume change. Yes. Whereas closer to zero, a small change is a small change. So yes. you really want to get your faders to have fader resolution to be near zero. And that's why... It's not a good idea to walk, you know, I walk up to some people's consoles and faders are like all the way, you know, halfway down or even three quarters of the way down. And I know it's the fader resolution is not going to help you when you're mixing. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and let me, let me say this real quick. Sorry. I guess God, no, 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 we're going go go to go a million places on this one. This is great. <laughs> if you look guys, go look on YouTube right now and find some, find any sort of pro tools, studio based like tutorial 
online and what you're going to see nine times out of 10, I bet you are a bunch of tracks that are, this is such a generalization, but I'd still stand by that eight out of 10. You're going to see a bunch of tracks that are either clipping or almost clipping. Uh, and mind you in the digital realm now, you can go above full scale in the digital realm and not clip what can clip this whole other conversation are, uh, converters, output stages. That's what can clip. So now like you can record something that's way in the red and it itself is not clipping. So you'll see all these tracks that are clipping like crazy. And then you'll look at the people's faders. And if, if they're not like assigned to a VCA or something that's allowing them to do it, you'll see all these faders like Pooch was saying that are like negative 30. That's fine in Pro Tools if I can do Apple click on that fader and make 0.1 dB increments. If it's just right. me and my fat fingers, if I touch a fader, it's like a, and my faders are all down there in that resolution, it's a, like a 5 dB jump. Correct. So, and that's what Pooch is saying. It's like, I want my faders. I've had friends of mine that are studio guys and I talk about gain structure and how, well, I want my faders to end up in this really usable space. And they're like, oh, that's such a live guy thing. Have your faders at zero. I'm like, it's not an aesthetic. It's like, I want my fader there because if I want to do a 0.3 dB move, I can do it. And there's like, it takes movement to make that point. That's right. DB, you that's know? Right. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so yeah. you, you will discover if you look at any, probably either one of our sessions, most of our faders are super close to zero. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, yep. and some of that is, um, you know, and, and the reason that I brought this up is that there are occasions, um, where I will gain something a little bit hotter than what, maybe, you know, looking at the meter, you're like, wow, that's a little gained up hot. And it's mm -hmm. only because I like what it's doing. The interaction that it has with that particular microphone is a sound, right? Mm -hmm. It's creating mm -hmm. a bunch of harmonic distortion in a kick drum, let's say. I'm not saying mm -hmm. that I like overgain all my drums. Please don't, don't misunderstand me. Mm -hmm. I'm saying in some instances, more than... 40% of my mix, I, my gains structure wise will be hotter or lower because it sounds different with that mic pre the way that it is. And then mm -hmm. I fix it with the trim, right? Mm -hmm. So whether it's, if it's over gain, then I turn the trim down to make my fader resolution be zero. If it's under gained, I take my trim and turn it up to, you know, so my fader resolution is, is zero. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I just wanted to point that out that there is truly a tonality that happens with the mic pre that doesn't exist with the trim. No. Uh, so, so try, I would say I'd spend a bunch, if I were a new guy, I'd spend a bunch of time doing ear training of, you know, if, mm -hmm. if uh, somebody will let me get in front of a console and going extremes undergain something, listen to it, see what it sounds like, overgain something to the point where it's out of control, see what mm -hmm. that sounds like. And then the in-betweens, there's subtle differences in the, the right place of gain. Um, mm -hmm. no. Now, there, there's no, um, you know, it's no coincidence that zero on most meters is probably pretty close to where the gain should be right? That is a manufacturer right. saying, hey, our, ga our gains sound the best at right around here. 
But mm-hmm. what you should experiment with is what happens when I go on a meter, I go plus three or minus three. There is mm-hmm. subtle differences in the sound of the mic pre itself before mm-hmm. you even get into, you know, EQ and compression and, you know, all the rest of the bells and whistles, um, you know, learning how to properly gain something I think is a real skill. Yeah, for sure. I'm trying to come think of, and this is not the first time I've thought of it, but the a good way to talk another way to describe the difference between gain and specifically digital trim you know let's say that gain is the photo you have taken analog gain gain at the converter gain that happens before it, it in this in the analog run at the point that it's created you have established the signal level that is like your photograph and if it's oversaturated, it's always going to be oversaturated. If it's underlit, it's always going to be that. Digital gain allows you to go in and guys, pretend I'm on my cell phone right now. I'm just zooming it and I'm pulling it back, but it's never going to change. What okay. it is, what, what it is, is always going to be what it is. Digital trim allows you to go in and zoom out, zoom into it. So just think of that. It's like a just, just, just think of that, you know, yeah. and particularly as far as tonality goes, like you're not going to get any different tonality from a digital trim, you know? Totally. Um, uh, whereas you, you do with the gain part of it. Um, you, you totally do. Absolutely. So this is where I caution most people about gain tracking. All right. Mm-hmm. So Digico oh. has this thing called gain tracking that when you turn it on, when you adjust a mic pre, it will adjust the trim in the opposite direction. So if you turn the gain up, it'll turn the trim down the same amount. And that is the thought process behind it makes a lot of sense. You, you're trying to, if you're sharing a rack with somebody, somebody grabs a gain and turns it up, you don't want the level to you to change. But I say to people that gain tracking Screws I love this up, already. Right? I hate to, I, I hate it. to, you know, be the guy that's, that's, uh, whatever, you know, um, swearing, no, it's it, but, but game tracking really fucks me over. And, yes. and so I only, I use game tracking very sparsely. The reason being is exactly what we just described. If you are doing a move where you're changing the mic pre, you are now changing the timbre of the instrument. You are like, let me change the trim of it because I like the timbre that the mic pre mm-hmm. has. Um, yes. So I just want to caution you people. I know I've watched people all the time. They reach for a gain and say, well, I have it in gain tracking so I can just mess with it. But what they don't mm-hmm. realize is that the gain knob has a direct interaction with that microphone and has a sound. Yes. So yes. when you turn it down, yes, the trim is turning it up in level but it is changing mm-hmm. the timbre of the instrument. Um, yes. So it, I, I just wanted to point that out, that it's, it's, it's a cool tool, but it's like it's not something that you should be like it's, turning on all the time. Right, because it, it's, it's not a one-to-one. Now, yes. if we were living in a world of established gain and then everyone's living off of line trim, yes. then it yes. is one-to-one. But what we just said, you know, it's, it, it's not. I'll tell you someplace else where you'll find that is if you go into like a tape, um, a tape emulation plugin, like, a, like the J37 from Waves, for example, or something like that, it has a thing where it will link input and output. Yep. And that's well-intended, and that's great. 
But I'll tell you right now, if you drive into tape really hard, let's say 5 dB to the point that it's saturating, it's saturating. So you pushed 5 in, but you're not getting 5 out. In fact, you might only be getting 2 out. Right. So even, even that sort of thing where plus six, oh, we'll take it down plus six. If you look at it like on a meter, it doesn't all, it's not a one-to-one. Um, that's a more extreme kind of obvious example yes. than what you're yes. talking about. But, but I, I'm, I'm with you there. Gain, like just playing with gain can be dangerous. If you're listening closely, it means everything where that gain is set. A hundred percent. And this is a conversation about when you are sharing stage racks, which is what everybody does nowadays. Mm -hmm. For me, this is a conversation that I have with every monitor engineer because, you know, um, I usually give gain control to monitor guys that I trust and I trust that they are gaining something up appropriately uh, to to make it sound the best. If they if I start watching that they're not doing that, then we're going to have a conversation mm -hmm. about it. But I know that there are a lot of monitor guys out there that once the gains are established, they operate in the thought process that the front of house engineer is running with gain tracking on. And so that they could just reach for a gain. And what I encourage monitor engineers to do, uh, working with front of house guys, when you're sharing a stage rack in either direction, let's establish the gains at the beginning of the tour. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Unless right. there's something that's totally wanky that you both are talking about on a comm, like something's really wrong with that. We're going to try to regain that past mm -hmm. that. Monitor guy works on trims, front of house guy works on trims because mm -hmm. you leave the gains alone because they sound the best where they are. Yeah. Um, but I know there's a lot of people that don't work like that. There's people that work with gain tracking on, and I'm trying to argue that that is a horrible way to work. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, you know, everybody can do whatever they want to do, but I'm, my point is you start messing with gain and you're, you're, you're yep. messing with the timbre of things. You're not just messing with output volume. You know? Right. Uh, I've got an interesting little sidebar here. I, um, just this week I was tasked with going back and looking at some old tracks for something. It's a, a tribute, a memorial thing that's being done. Right. And so this particular thing was recorded in, it was done in 99. So it's 21 years old and it was done on 16 bit. I think they were using the 16 bit DA, whatever eights. Yeah. back then right yeah right and i know the mandate and around that time is when the i think 24-bit stuff on there and came out but I, I just happen to know that these were older machines i know exactly what happened on what i found this was in 16-bit world so when we're talking about resolution right when we got into 16-bit that was getting into a whole other area that was great and the way it works guys is for every bit that you have in the digital world, you have six dB of resolution. So what that means is at 16 bit, nine, I can do this off the top of my head because I actually know the math, not because I'm math. good at math, <laughs> right? But excuse me, not nine, uh, 16 times six equals 96. That means we had 96 dB of usable uh, dynamic range, right? Yeah. And so the theory was early on, use all your bits, use all your bits, use all your bits, use all your bits. Not that 96 doesn't sound like a lot, but people were very conscious of using it all because once you get into the lower stuff, 
as it starts to fall down in resolution, the bits get chopped off. You get that weird, that distortion. I know there's a name for it and it's eluding me right now. But um, so you wanted to use everything that you had, right? But that doesn't mean take it to the peak at every single second because we all know music is dynamic. What that That's means right. is get it, get it in a safe place and allow yourself if you know the input if it's a snare drum and you know the drummer gets excited leave yourself 15 20 db for him to lay into it right so this engineer assistant engineer who was tasked with recording all this stuff got this mandate was it use all your bits use all your bits use all your bits every single track is just below clip. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so here's this thing where 21 years later, we need something from this. And it is seemingly 21 years ago was probably not the most important thing you could have heard. It's it sure as shit. It clips and there's no unclipping it. And I mean, it, I, I mean, it distorts. He took yeah. it too far, yeah, you yeah. know? So anyway, that's the thing for, if you ever hear anybody still not now, remind or a digital clip mind, is in, a horrible fucking sound. You don't want, it's a clip. horrible sound. Yeah. And this guy clipped everything, the preamp clip. So there's oh. analog clipping, there's digital clip, like it's screwed. There's no saving it. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, we're still going to use it because we have to this one little part, but I even look at it in pro tools and it's just squared off. You can see wow. it, you know? So nowadays we're in 24 bit world, uh, more times than not. So that math is whatever, 24 times six. We, we guys, we have so much usable headroom. You don't need to go up to zero. You don't that's have right. to do that. So if anyone's telling you that that's it's, it's antiquated thinking and you don't, and you don't have to go there, you know, no, that's so. right. The, the resolution that we have. So guys, there's a thing called the interpolation, right? And what it happens is when you have bits, let's say you have a sine wave. Okay. And basically you're taking a sample, um, you know, 24 times in that sine wave and you have these 24 points that you have that exist. Now in digital audio, there's this thing called interpolation where digital audio makes a guess between mm -hmm. those points. And it says, it makes sense that if this, you know, wave, sine <laughs> right. wave, that this looks like it would, you know, this point's here, this point's here. It looks like it's going between these two. We're going right. to draw a straight line there, right? And then you, you end up with, a, with a, a sine wave. So if you could zoom in on what a sine wave looks like in digital audio, it would actually be kind of steppy. You know, mm -hmm. it's not, it is not a true sine wave. But nowadays because of the resolution and because of uh, uh there's a bunch of other reasons in fact you, you know if you really want to go down a rabbit hole like go research about you know digital audio and how it all works yeah um, we're glossing over things oh my god we're, we're, we're saying things like i just what i was talking about as things get to the bottom of their the bit depth how it does something no there's a yes. very scientific thing for what i'm just spacing on we're, we're glossing over right yeah so basically it's about resolution though but i mean yeah. i mean listen there is nowadays because of technology you know it could be argued that 48k sounds the same as 96k and here's why there's a there's a bunch of like rabbit hole of that and you should go explore it because it's very interesting uh you know aes white paper stuff yeah. Um, about that. But um, since we're talking about 
you know, gain structure and gaining things up and getting proper resolution. My point with talking to you about interpolation and how it's guessing between and making resolution is with gain further down in the noise floor, the less resolution that it is, therefore the less amount of guesses that there are between your uh, bit structure. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, gain is important, man. I mean, it's like, what what Chris talked about with over gaining so much that you're right up to clip and it just sounds horrible. Mm-hmm. The same can be said for the under resolution of under gaining as well in digital audio. So, um, yes. you know, uh, there, like I said, there's no coincidence that zero is kind of sounds pretty good on a meter w- with a, mm-hmm. a, a gain knob, but check out the real nuances between minus six and plus six. Mm-hmm. There are huge nuances in a gain knob between those, you know, that 12 dB. Yes. Um, so, you know, uh, I'm hoping that I'm blowing your minds a little bit about your gain structure and what you were originally taught about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, I'm, I'm digging where we're going on this one. Cause we, yeah. this is, this is one place we haven't really been. Yeah. Um, and, and it is nuanced too. Yeah. Like while I was saying a lot of us will agree and we will, a lot of us will kind of end up in the same spot because sonically it does something that's pleasing. It's the same reason that a properly uh, played chord is pleasing to the human yeah. ear. There are things about it that are pleasing. Same thing with these levels of distortion or, or whatever yeah. it might be. Even if it's emulated distortion now, there is something pleasing and that's why we end up at the same place. But some people will kind of move on different sides and we're just talking about a few dB here and there. Totally. What they like. I like what you said about taking um, – you know, gaining things, something somewhere and then pulling it back. I have had this uh, pulling it back via the line trim. Yeah. I've had this long running thing where I have this gain structure that I like, but it oftentimes causes me to clip this. Like I'm always fighting clipping. I talk about it on here all the time. I'm always fighting clipping the stereo bus. And I hate that confining feeling of not wanting to make that 0.2 dB move because I don't want to see those red lights, you know? And um, I have often thought, like in the Digico, I was like, you know what? Just run everything where you know you like it, which is like minus 10. But I can tell you right now, minus 10 across the board. And then when you start working in parallel processing and everything else, et cetera, so you are going to clip and you're going to clip quick, particularly as you start ganking EQ up and stuff. So I've thought to myself, I'm like, why don't I just, this is just me shooting from the hip. And guys, this is how much we prepare for this. We <laughs> clearly just started going for it. Um, no, but I mean, I that's of, what this is though. This is eh, just a conversation between us. We don't really talk about what we're going to talk about. This is just us talking. So this is it. And I have thought about why don't I just run everything where I like it, where I know it's not going to clip, you know, where I'm hovering around minus 10 everywhere across the board and then pull it all back via the trim. Because again, guys, I, I, I've established the color with the mic pre the trim is just trim. I'm just moving it down and then mix that way. Um, and the only thing you, the only thing that you have to watch out for, the only thing that you have to watch out for, what you just described, is how your channel dynamics get yes. hit by the trim yes. because they do, they do change. Yes. You can't establish channel dynamics, your compression, your gating, your all those kind of things, and then go and grab the trim knob no. because now you're hitting all of those dynamics of all, you know, all those it, things get. In fact, here's a good one. Here's a good, hey, guys, what do y'all do with virtual playback? I'll get to a point in a tour, this is to your point, where I'm like, it's too hot. 
everything's too hot. My gains <laughs> are too hot. Everywhere there's an insert adds five dB. It's all too hot. And I don't even have to put this in a note to myself. I know it, but I'll do it. I bet you if I went through my phone right now, I'd find a million examples of, it'll say something like gain everything down five dB. Yeah. And adjust dynamics. Yeah. So if I go into playback, right? Guys, we're talking about my kick drum, okay? We go into playback and I realize that my kick drum has it's just too hot. It's just too hot. I wish it was at minus 15, it's at minus 10 all the time. When I go back into playback, it is written as such. The truth is what that preamp was recorded at, which is what I said is now the too hot minus 10. The way that I fix that in playback, this is exactly what we're talking about. If I grab that gain knob and playback, it doesn't do shit. I have to go to the line trim yeah, and I have to take it back five. But in doing that, I now have a, where the signal starts before it hits anything else, any dynamics, any EQ, any, anything that signal is now lesser, right? So that means that the gate on that kick drum now also needs to come back five. Now it's cool if you've got very obvious established parameters like thresholds that are like negative 20, this or that, where it gets more difficult is if you've got a plugin that's got like an input and an output and there are these arbitrary numbers like an 1176, then you have to start guessing what is, so if you guys see what I'm saying here, once you address that gain and make a change or that level, I should say the input level, let's say input level. Once you address it via a line trim, be mindful of everything else that's coming below it. Everything else downstream. Everything else downstream, you now need to make changes to. And also, let's say you achieve everything down across the board. You do it right. All of your inputs are all now down whatever you want. You've adjusted all of your thresholds, all those inputs, down whatever you want. If you have processing on buses, you have processes on master buses, that processing now is going to be seeing less level. So you need to, you need to, um, you need to compensate there as well. So these are the kind of things that I don't want to say these are next level thoughts, but like, I mean, Pooch, you're just sitting, I don't even have to say it. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? No, they are. This is they, all- they are. They're, they are next level in the sense of they are, there's basics of, you know, getting your balance and your mix together, but then there's the second plane of thinking about things like you know Mm -hmm. as you were talking i was going you know there are definitely times where i get the mic pre to sound right then i take the trim knob because i like what it sounds like when it hits the front end of a compressor when it's really hot that causes more harmonic distortion on that particular compressor Yep. You know, as opposed to taking the threshold knob on a compressor or the gain knob on a th- mm-hmm. that controls threshold on a compressor is different than sending trim very loud to the front end of that compressor, thereby yep. causing some harmonic distortion in the front end part of that compression. Those mm-hmm. are kind of like, those are all things that I think about when I'm, I'm not only thinking about fader resolution, but also right. thinking about what you described, which is wh- in what way do I want my dynamics to get hit? Do they yes. need, am I, do I want the front end to hit hot and then take the mm-hmm. output side of a compressor and turn it way down to make the, the fader resolution be right? These are all mm-hmm. like thought 
processes as I go through a channel strip and, and mm -hmm. it's there. Um, and it's also things that I change uh, pretty regularly with, uh, with virtual playback as I listen to things. Um, mm -hmm. I'll do exactly what you described, which is um, go through it and be like, you know what? I don't like um, I, even going the other direction, like what you just said. You know, I oftentimes do what you said, where everything gets too hot. And I'm like, oh, I've put myself in a place where I need to like pull everything down and, and kind of <laughs> right. regain everything and get it all going again. But there are times when I'm listening in virtual playback and I'm, and I'm thinking, man, that needs to get hit harder. I like how yes. the mic priest sits, mm -hmm. but that compressor needs to get hit in the front end more. Particularly um, when we're getting into em emulation of yep. classic hardware and or real hardware. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, yeah. And see, that's like a, that's a big boy thought. That's an adult <laughs> mixer thought. That is is like, what's not, thought. what's yeah. not happening here? I'm not pummeling that piece of either virtual or real. That thing needs to get hit. That's yeah. what's going to excite it. Yes. You know? And, and just um, like what you said in emulation, old analog gear, and they've built it to do what the analog gear used to do. They, they built an emulation that when you hit it hot, uh, you know, it causes whatever harmonic distortion, biasing, all those kind of nice analog things. They've written yep. that into the code of a plugin, for instance. And so when you take your trim, boost it up 5 dB, and you hit the front end of an 1176, let's say, um, it's a different tonality than mm -hmm. hitting it at a properly gained input side and adjusting the output side. Those are two different sounds. Yep. Now these are, we're all talking about super nuancey things, but just think about it. If you have all of these things at some sort of level in your thought process, all of these nuances matter. And when you put 64 channels of nuance together, it's going to be, at a, you're, you're operating at a higher skill level yes. than someone yes. that isn't worried about all of those nuances up to that point. Absolutely. What you, what, what you just said is art. That's the art. That's right. You know, so. I, um, I love this. I love every last bit of this. <laughs> this is great. I, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that, again, I'll often say, oh, DigiCodes don't sound like anything yet. I find myself being happier when they're in a, and, and I'm with you now that I've used the 32-bit cards a couple times now they they do have there's definitely more of they a have sound. a thing they have a thing thank god thank you digico they <laughs> have a thing and it happens to be somewhere in this area that we're talking about too yeah. um where there is a there is a sound on the input side of of everything and then that cumulative uh summing of those things creates a thing there is also on your output like i'll say this i know that i like the way that consoles sound at a certain point input wise. I also have found that if I don't hit my output processing and this is mine that I stick with all the time. And it's usually in the hardware world where it's that API 2500 and then it feeds that Sonic farm cream liner thing. Um, or if I even go with emulations of, let's just say for shits and giggles, what I usually use all the time when I can. So it's that hardware a lot of times if I do get the mix to where it's at a safe spot, where it's like my mix is usually like, right up to Z like I am at 0.1 DB full scale. Like, right. you know, that's where I live. And, and I'm, and I've often thought, I'm like, what's wrong with me, man? I just got, I'm always out of control. I'm always so hot. What's happening is 
I like the way my hardware sounds being pummeled. I yeah. like the sound of that. Guys, you should see in real life my API 2500, that threshold knob. I know a lot of times on the emulations it can go. I mean, mine is like can barely. It's <laughs> it just, barely it's, cracked from the, yeah. Yeah, if this is as far as it goes, mine lives a lot of times like here. And uh, it's because there's nothing left in it. But what's happening yeah. is that transformer is just getting destroyed yep. with level and it makes it light up. And then yeah. that thing that comes after it, which I've mentioned many times is just pure. It, it's all it is, is distortion. And then in turn limiting, it's getting nailed. It's getting pummeled. And I had a friend of mine one time or a peer who tried that. Um, he was talking about that cream liner deal and he wasn't digging it and, and folks don't, I totally get it. And he was like, mine's always clipping. I always have to turn it down. Mine's always clipping. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, no, no, red light is like when it starts to behave, that's what you want. But if you're just looking at the red light, just like if you're just looking at numbers, yeah. don't look, listen, don't, don't do that. Don't yeah. do that. In fact, put tape over it or something. And I guarantee you, you'll Whatever. be happier when it's, when it's getting hit harder you know? Yeah. So, um, I think people, yeah. you know, we live in this digital world where, you know, and I'm, listen, I have I, my front of house rig has, I don't know, even know now, like, you know, 12 screens or something or you know, <laughs> right. 14 screens. We live right. in this visual computer world, how yes. audio turned into that. I don't know, but it did. Um, mm -hmm. and so I think that people get lost in the looking at it rather than listening to it. And, you know, yep. I mean, there are lots of times where, you know, someone will come over and look at something that's happening in my world and be like, what is going, why is that? <laughs> totally. You know, whatever, yep. whatever it is. And I always just uh, go, I, you know, I'll switch the layer and go, don't look at it. What is it? Don't look like? at it. Don't exactly. At it. What does it sound and like? Man, Yes. And dude, I'll tell you, I've said it so many times. I wish we keep talking about DigiCoach just because we use it all the time. I wish and I actually mentioned it to them not that long ago. And I, it was surprising. I was just saying it offhand and they were like, oh, that's a really good idea. I wish you could turn off the visual of the EQ <laughs> because like, think about it back in the day. We oftentimes will reference like a kick drum. <laughs> that's a channel great one. idea. I love it. If yeah. you went back, back in the day, if you yeah. pull up your whatever, your one kick drum channel and yeah. the first thing you hear is all that boxiness and man you go to 250 and you dump it and then you just need to like bump 40 50 60 80 hertz a little bit but then you need some presence and you're like plus six or plus nine somewhere in the high man's then you do another one and you just went on with your day yeah now i'll look at that and i'll be like that doesn't look right and i'll like <laughs> and this is me calling myself and i'll like narrow the cue because uh, it looks fucked up it's like yeah. what don't do that. That's one reason that I like plugins that don't have any sort of visual. Oh, I hear you. You know, um, you know what I mean? Because I don't I totally worry about it. Like, I like I when totally I sent that text it. to you a, a week or two ago and I was like, oh, look at my EQ. <laughs> Guys, it was like plus nine yeah. on every yeah. band except for the low mid, which had a scoop in it. And I'm like, yeah. sounds fucking great. If you looked at it, it would look ridiculous, you know? Um, it, it's interesting, dude, you know, just to speak to this for a minute. I was reading an article um, uh, this week. Um, about, and, and the gist of the article was what made analog products be, you know, not better, but what made that, that sound, yeah. you know, what was it right. about them? And one of the things was that in all analog EQs, the Q is super wide in yes. general, like yes. super wide. Like if you looked at it in digital world, you'd be like, man, that cue is like super wide. Right. The reason that it sounded so good was because super wide cues have less phase relationship changing. 
um, mm -hmm. to your thing. And so we live in this world now where you can have just this little tiny sliver Q world. Yes. And what is that? What that's doing is huge amounts of change of phase relationship stuff. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, and so it, it made me think, you know, as I was reading this article, I'm like, you know what? I use super narrow cues all the time and I shouldn't, I should make, uh, you know things, what, you know? Yeah. I, I know what you mean. And I'll, I'll, I'll use them uh, when the way a lot of people will say like for surgical reasons, like fixing yeah. a ring, you know what I mean? I, I get uh, that, but I'm just saying that I think over time, my cues in general have gotten oh, narrower. And um, it's probably the visual. It is. And, and that's exactly what the problem is, is it's visual. Yes. And so um, yes. I'm going to force myself to try to um, like address that, try to look at that and be uh -huh. like, I don't know, but I love your idea of like being able to turn off what the, YouTube how great looks like. I guarantee you, we would all mix so much faster. And yeah. so we wouldn't, there's nothing to judge, no. you know, those it. big wide cues too. That's why like a pull tech is like, is there like tons of harmonic, distortion i.e magic happening yes. in one of those again if you hit it hard absolutely you know what else there are 4 db wide 40 four octave Q. four yes. octave wide cues yes so you're like oh i only need to like put point two or minus two it's like yeah because you're <laughs> cutting out like this much or conversely when people go into and i and i love this stuff too when you go into like air bands and i don't mean specifically from the from the maggie q which is beautiful and brilliant but let's say you take some old you go to like the shelving portion of some old eq and you go up to 20 and you're like you know it just lifts everything it does it lifts all that air it lifts all that presence you know what else it does it extends down to 2k yeah and you are taking everything that is high end and going hello <laughs> you know so and that's why you can also at, at a, a higher band go you know i just do plus eight and it's like right around there it does something magic no by then you've reached down into all of your high end had you shifted the, and i'm not saying there's a right or wrong here but maybe you had gotten the same thing if you had shifted that lower and just done a, sure. a small one you know so um For sure Anyway, I just yeah. thought it was an interesting article and it kind of spoke to what we were talking about today. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, dude, if you looked at, like you said, if you looked at the, mm -hmm. the, uh, a smart trace of what a pull tech does, you'd be like, oh, yeah. like I'm affecting from 800 to <laughs> yeah. 12K. Yeah. Right yep. now, you know, yep. even though it's centered yeah. at, at 4K, I'm affecting right. all of those things, you know. Um, yep. and there's something to be said about the, uh, the reason, part of the reason that it sounds good is because it doesn't cause phase shift. So it's something, yep. something to be said about that. Yep. Um, but anyway, Hey, let's come full circle back to, uh, pl uh virtual playback. I think this um, is going to be a part one is what's happening, here. <laughs> which is good. That gives too. us something yeah, to talk about next week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, uh, I think we we nailed the game part of this, right? Like, is there anything else you want to talk so. about? The game? I think we took them all around the block on versus game. trim. Yeah, no, um, I, I dig it. I dig it. I like. I like. What man, like there's it. you know, there's a lot of thought process there. As we started talking, I was like, you know what? I I think about what the mic trim sounds like. I mean, I think about what the what the gain, the nuance of the gain and its interaction with the microphone. Then I think about how I want my compressors to be hit. Do I want them mm -hmm. hard or not? Then I think about, um, you know, uh, fader resolution. And then I think about what is that doing to an output bus? There is 
tons. It's not just about grabbing that gain on channel number one and just gaining it up and being like, okay, that's good. There's mm -hmm. kind of this checklist that goes on in my brain of like, you know, how I want the thing to operate. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so I don't know, I hope you guys got a little bit by us traveling down that rabbit hole, but uh, that and many other rabbit holes. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's great. But virtual playback. Um, mm -hmm. Let's just talk about that a little bit here uh, at the end. Um, is there, you know, I don't just record the inputs and use that as a virtual playback tool. I'm also recording like uh, stems, um, mm -hmm. you know, the ma my master bus. Um, I make all kinds of stems so that it's way easier for me later on when somebody asks for a recording I don't have to rebuild my session and go find a digico. I have the stems for the drums, for the bass, for the guitar, for the keys that I can just, you know, all those stems are all pretty good. Maybe just the relationships of them. I want to be able to adjust. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I've said this a bunch on here. I try to do, I think ahead about in every situation that I can to prevent the word no. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to say I can't do that or no to an artist or a manager. I always want to say, yes, no problem. I'll make that happen. Um, and so set yourself up. And the way that I set myself up with that is having a bunch of stems and, and stuff recorded so that inevitably when they come back to me and say, you know, uh, whatever show, can you remix that one little thing? Well, it's super easy for me. I got the stems. It's like, you know, I can do mm -hmm. whatever they want. If they need a uh, tonight show, no vocal track mix, it takes me 10 minutes to do it because I've got mm -hmm. the stems. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's all of those kind of things. So what's mm -hmm. your, what do you record? What's your philosophy? Well, mine would be, you know, I went back and said, if there's anything that I'm doing, I'm at least going to track everything, uh, meaning all of the inputs. I should also add to that, if there's one other thing that is going to get recorded, it's going to be my two mix. Yep. It's going to be the stereo bus um, because we don't have, no, no longer is there a cassette deck in the rack. Is there a Pan Panasonic 3700 DAT thing? That's it. That's, that's yep. where my... That's my board mix. So if I do anything at all, I'm going to track everything. And then however I do it, I'm going to get uh, that stereo mix. Now I'll do it a couple different ways. If and I, let's say it's not just a throw and go and it's a little more refined. I will record my raw stereo bus, meaning exactly what's coming out of yep. my mix to the PA, blah, 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 blah. And then I'll do one, even though I say my shit's usually up at the top. And then I'll also say nowadays, I'll kind of use a peak limiter on it to kind of keep it safe and everything. I'll oftentimes also have a record bus yep. and that record bus gets some little teeny and teeny tiny bit of mastering but but not a lot because I, I don't reference it during the show so it might get a touch of a smiley face eq or maybe just one one side or another it might be just a little brighter you know um it'll get some form of limiting and then maybe i'll get cute with it i seriously doubt it with some widening or something but i might and what that is that is the thing that is going to go to the artist or management or whoever else. And one of the most important things about that is it's going to be loud. 
because when they have listened to their new album, they've listened to all the other albums of everyone they're scared of that's on their tail right now. They've listened to all the shit that they like to listen to in general. The last thing I want to do is them put in their show they just did all their egos wrapped up in and they are just they can't get it loud enough that will before they assess any sort of judgment on how it sounds sonically you're behind you know yeah. now i'm yeah. not suggesting you hand them the unrealistic brick that will quickly turn to garbage sonically but i am saying know where this is going you they're not sitting around compete. listening yeah, you have to. You compete. have to compete. And they are not sitting around listening to board tapes all day. They are listening to either modern music or established music well before the, the loudness wars. It doesn't matter. So, again, don't hand them the joke of a mix that has one dB of dynamic range, but hand them something that is competitively loud. So, that's what that is. And oftentimes, that one, too, I will say, will have um, – it, it, it may or may not have audience mics mixed into it as well but the point of that bus is that's the one that goes to the boss yep. and that's the one that's going to be competitively loud the other one the the raw mix that's for me to listen to that's for me to make judgments on so at the very least that's what i'll do um and then with your stem thing uh yes once we get moving or once i that's usually part of the building process i'll just go ahead and build those um like what do your yeah. stems look like usually like what's your default stem thing uh, is it just like drums, bass? Yeah. In, right. Instruments, yeah. instrument blocks. If there's more than one player of an instrument, if there's two guitar players, for instance, it's two different stems, two different stereo stems. Um, yep. And, it, you know, it all depends on the uh, the horsepower that I have too, right? You know, even... Like processing. Yeah. So, like, if yeah. I have, you know, 125 input band, um, <laughs> right. you know, I'm, I'm right up against the, uh, you know, uh -huh. even with four MGBs, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm right up, right up against, um, you know, um, the ability to, uh, to record all of that. So, you know, a lot of times I'll get to... I'll, having all of my inputs being recorded and then there's only six stereo paths available. Um, yep. and those will then become maybe band vocal, you know, yeah. some, some ability. I always, I almost always give myself an out to remove vocals uh -huh. uh, just because every person I've run into so many situations where they're like, Oh, Hey, we're about to go do the tonight show. And, uh, uh, you know, it's not going to be the band. It's just going to be the artist. And, you know, we need one without a vocal. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I got it. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So at the very least for me is exactly what you described. It's interesting. I don't, I record the record bus, but I don't record my unmastered stereo bus. I might add that into my workplace. It, it's a, it's a thing of luxury. I think I, I just it. started doing it and now I do. Yeah, I get like, it. I, think I mean, I understand yeah. why. Like, it'd be cool to, because if I listen to it, then I'm now mm -hmm. listening to, to the mastered version of my mix bus, which is, it's not that much different, but it is different. No. There's dynamics right. that get kind of lost in that. Um, mm -hmm. And also, uh, my uh, mastered bus tends to be have audience in it. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, I probably should be recording the raw uh, left and right without audience. But, um, anyway, I haven't been in the past. Um, so it's mostly the record bus. Um, at the very least it's a band bus and a vocal main vocal background vocal bus. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and but but generally, if I have the paths, it's every instrument gets its own stereo bus. So there's sometimes if I have enough ability, um, like I think with Iron Maiden, you know, it's only 56 inputs, so. Uh, you know, I have a bunch of paths that I'm not using. So I'm, I've made a bunch of, you know, all of my group outputs are going to the record. Might as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's only data. So uh, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but yeah, anyway. Hey, make sure that you like and subscribe. We are so grateful that, um, you know, we have over 3,700 subscribers on YouTube. And uh, so we're grateful that all you guys come, tell your friends, um, leave comments. Uh, we'd love to do one, um, you know, regarding your comments, uh, coming soon. Um, so, uh, have a great day and, uh, take care. See you everybody.